Hello, everyone. Welcome back to TPS Podcast. That's the Philosopher's Stone Podcast. How are you? My name's Jordan. He's Sam Laboon. What the fuck's going on, Sam? You eat something spicy, you tell me. Is this... Uh, are you going to be all right? Do we need to call the ambulance? The amber lamps? Uh, I, I was like literally like it was making me cry. Like it actually made me cry. It was so spicy. <laughs> Uh, cry out of actually just pain or it just irritates your eyes? Because I think that you mean actual pain made you cry. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, I don't know. It was just, it's like, you know, like when you get really, really spicy food, like your nose runs. Yeah. I think it was like that, but with my eyes. Well, I've had that happen, but I've also had something so spicy that I, I, I was just weeping out of sheer suffering. It was one of our buddy Zach's, Zach Cook, Urban Monk. He made some devilish concoction once, and I had maybe like, I don't know, less than what would be covered on a toothpick if you dipped it in there, like less than that. Uh And uh, I was, it it literally felt like someone was holding like a hot metal rod to my tongue at some points. Oh my God. It was ridiculous. I thought I was permanently damaging my mouth just based on sheer spice. Yeah, like some of these some of these spices that they they make nowadays like with these like these weird mutant ghost peppers and like these Carolina reapers and stuff like they make mm. these sauces with them and literally like a a drop, like just a drop will destroy you. Yeah. They're so spicy. It doesn't even it completely changes what a like what a meal is just by adding a little bit of that. Yeah. Now it's like it's equivalent to like a cutter. Like they, <laughs> they get high out of get, causing pain. The food is just the excuse to. It's it's just like someone who cuts themselves. It's it's an excuse to hurt themselves because they get a sick feeling from. They get a nice endorphin endorphin rush. It's true that it gives you an endorphin rush. Like I'm I'm riding pretty high right now. Yeah, on a nice nice chili high. Yeah. That's because your brain is like, oh, he's in a ton of pain. Like, here's some free painkillers. And now you're getting... That's. I remember when you got back from Taiwan and you made me that pad thai. I couldn't even... I couldn't taste any distinct flavor at all. It was like... <laughs> it was just straight up. Yeah. You just threw something that causes a ton of... Like, I might as well have eaten like a mouthful of Black Widows or something. <laughs> like, it was so painful. Yeah. Just a bowl of fire ants, please. Why not? Yeah. Well, the uh, I think the ancient like Mayans or like the Aztec priests or something like one of the ways they would reach altered states was by eating very very hot uh, chili peppers and meditating, and that would help them. I guess it's like the one way you can like inflict a ton of pain but have zero actual injury. Yeah, it's not bad for you at all. Like it doesn't. It it literally has. I mean, okay. Well, to be fair, like I had to take a break for a while because like for breakfast. I was eating fried eggs with chopped up raw habaneros and scotch bonnets on them. And oh my God, dude, that'll wake you up though. Yeah. Like that's what I was doing is like a way to kick, kick the day off. But I think I was getting like an ulcer or something. <laughs> like, I, like I had this like weird cold feeling in my stomach after I ate. It was, <laughs> it was really odd. So I was like, okay, maybe I should stop. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you say that the ancient, or I don't know who you said, but like eating spicy food to reach some sort of altered state of consciousness. There are tribes that do that with like bullet ant biting. Like 
Mm. They put those gloves with the bullet ants tied into them, and it's the pain is supposed to like take you to another realm. Jeez. I can't imagine it being a good one, honestly, but apparently you're a man after it, so <laughs> I'm so glad there's no like trial by pain in our <laughs> in our culture. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I would just remain a boy the entire time I was alive. Yeah, we don't have any rituals. Well, I mean, I guess they used to haze people, but like that's that's illegal now. Yeah. Yeah. Now they just let you drink and uh, start all your problems. <laughs> oh yeah, just you could just drink. You guess you inflict it on yourself the first few times you get like absolutely wasted. Like, oh yeah. I mean, honestly, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Legal at drinking age should be like thirty. 30. <laughs> <laughs> by then, you're too old. You just you just get destroyed by it. Well, maybe you wouldn't feel so old if you didn't spend your 20, 20s hammered. Oh, uh, good point. Yeah, you'd probably be in much better condition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's just not, that doesn't line up with the spirit, like the typical young person's, they're wild cards out there. You know? Oh, yeah. They don't give a fuck. Everybody thinks they're invincible when they're 20. And I always thought that was the dumbest thing, but it's true. Oh, it's so, oh my God. When I was like four, 14 or 15, I was so fucking stupid. Like, yeah. Just the, the things that I thought that I would be able to do and get away with it. And like, yeah, broken bones. That's that's what happens. Broken bones. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't, you know, sustain very many major injuries. But I definitely put myself in situations that were less than wise to be doing. Like, yeah. Everybody is crazy from age 13 to 24. That's what I think. <laughs> That is the most likely time you're going to do some permanent self-inflicted damage by accident. That's what I feel. Yeah. I feel like if you can make it to your 30s without, like, seriously injuring yourself or someone else or, like, you know what I mean, then I think you could live a lot. I think if you make it through your 20s, you're going to make it to 60. That's what I think. Damn. That's, uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Like, yeah, like putting aside any freak accidents or anything, you know, you, you might be onto something there. Yeah. Might be onto something. I think your risk aversion doesn't develop, at least as like a male, till you're 30. Like, to, to get like accurate risk assessment of what you do, you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, though. It's um, I was on a hike once, and the guide pointed out this like, this weird like flower to us. And she said that the flower was, like, if you were to eat the flower, it would like, cause like a weird sort of not a spicy sensation in your mouth but like sort of like a kind of painfully tingling sensation yeah and so i tried it and it was like it like it did like it gave you like this sort of painful painful like pins and needles sensation in your mouth and she said that like all the animals would always like eat this like the bears like everything would just eat this really that's interesting they liked it yeah they they liked liked a little pain they liked a little pain exactly Everybody's got a little sub in them, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they want nature to be the dom. <laughs> yeah. Dominature. Dominatrix. Dominature. <laughs> Listen to these choices of spice levels. So this is this is a Thai place. This is the green papaya Thai restaurant in Ottawa, if, if you're in Ottawa. Oh, I thought this was like something you bought at a store. No, no, no. I, this, you ordered this from a restaurant? I know. So like, well, the reason I picked this this restaurant was because of their spice descriptions. You know what, Sam? I fucking knew that you were going to get, your hubris was going to make you <laughs> crash and burn one day because you always get the hottest spice level at most restaurants. And I, I've always thought that one day you're going to meet your match. 
Uh, I, I met it today. I met it today. <laughs> All right. So here, here are their five spice levels. So the number one, the lowest one is mildly spicy with little or no sting. Level number two, still mild, but will impart a stimulating kick to lips and tongue. Level three, will set tongue and lips tingling. The sensation lingers and glows. Oh my God. These guys are getting seductive. I with know. That's what I was reading. I was like, oh, damn, I got to try this. <laughs> very spicy. Then they go to level four. The tingly glow is transformed to raging fire. Oh. Very, it's almost erotic. Yeah, you're right. It is. It is. This is erotica <laughs> for spice heads. Whatever spice you guys heads. Call yourself. Yeah, I don't know. Tongue, tongue, tick, tongue tinglers? I don't know. Number five. Tongues, tongue ticklers. <laughs> All right, number five. Can you take it? This level is for addicts, masochists, and Thai nationals. Management accepts no responsibility for side effects. Oh my god, <laughs> Thai nationalists. Yeah. that's hilarious. Well, like, because most of the time you order, like in Canada, you go to like a restaurant, like an ethnic restaurant, and you order like spicy food. They don't think that you can actually handle spicy food because you're a Canadian. You're like a white person. Yeah. And so they give you like a lower level than what they normally would. So when I read on this one that they're going to give you what they would give the real Thai people, I was like, oh, damn, I got to try that. See, hubris. Holy fuck. It was spicy. Call him Icarus of the tongue. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't think I've learned my lesson. I don't think my behavior can be totally explained by my environment in this case. It's because you've you've looked, you've stared death in the face and you survived, and you knew that you, you now you, you're feeling like a man who survived a horrible accident <laughs> unscathed. Yeah, and I have this feeling like, man, I, I made it. Like life is like full of possibilities. Yeah. You know, you're gonna live every day like it's your last. You know, that's that's <laughs> It's flavor skydiving is what you're doing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, well, maybe we should jump in. Jump into the topic. Okay. Hit me. If there's time at the end, we can talk about crypto again. But Sure. We do have an email to get to at the end. Oh, okay. So we should leave okay, like 10 it. minutes for that. All right. Another, uh, another podcast reaching out to us. A little network forming here. Some oh. rivalries. Interesting. All right. Some allies. All right. All right. Some neutral parties. Okay. We're on the radar. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah. People are talking. People are People talking. Are talking. <laughs> People are talking. All right, so uh, today's topic, hmm. All right, when I, when I say the word psychology to you, what immediately comes to your mind? Uh, the study, well, my immediate thing that flashes in my head is a true crime <laughs> <laughs> documentary of some sort. Okay, nice. And then it's just the study of how people behave, right? Yeah. And why. Yeah, exactly. The study of behavior. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about... Fucking nailed it. You fucking nailed it. <laughs> today, yeah. today uh, we're going to talk about a psychological... You could say like a psychological school of thought called behaviorism. Uh-huh. Right, so if you think of psychology, if you think like Freud on the one hand, like sitting on his couch, listening to you talk about your weird life experiences and all the weird shit going on inside you, right? That's like one kind of psychology. Yeah, he just came back from watching like four hours of MILF porn. (laughs) So now everything relates back to fucking mom to him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's all I know about Freud. (laughs) He wanted to bang his mom so bad. Yeah, do you think the cigar represented uh, a penis or a nipple? 
His cigar is he like known for always smoking cigars? Yeah, he he died of uh, throat cancer from smoking so many cigars. Damn. Well, I guess was it a Cuban or was it a little cigarello? Because that would... <laughs> <laughs> I think they're the big ones. But was it a big stogie? Because then it might have been. I think they're pretty big. Okay. Anyway, well, maybe his mom had long nipples. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> long, long, smoky nipples, <laughs> like a fine pepperoni. Uh, <laughs> okay. Get get me out of here, Sam. <laughs> All right. Okay. Don't worry. None of that stuff is real. Okay. So this is uh, this behaviorism is like the complete polar opposite of that. Behaviorism is guys in white lab coats watching mice run through mazes. That's behaviorism. Right. There's like even there's a quote. There's a famous behaviorist who uh, can't recall his name, but he believed that everything, everything about human behavior could be explained by analyzing a mouse's pathway through a maze. Okay, that seems like he's really trying to like, that's not, I don't know why that just offended me so badly, (laughs) but it did. (laughs) Yeah, so behaviorism, like before, basically, if you could put behaviorism in a nutshell, they believe that, um, or like at the most extreme end of behaviorism, a guy named B.F. Skinner, he, they basically believe that you can explain everything about human behavior okay. just by analyzing the way that we respond to our environment. So do you remember Pavlov with the dogs? Oh, yeah. All right. That's like the most famous behaviorist experiment. Um, so Pavlov had these dogs, and whenever he fed his dogs, he would ring a bell. Right. And it got to the point where he could ring the bell, and the dogs would still start salivating, even if there was no food. It was just the ringing of the bell would trigger them to start salivating. Right. And that's, uh, that's called like reinforcement, right? So like you have a stimulus ringing of the bell and you reinforce that with like rewards and, and things like that. Yeah, man. It's why when you walk into Subway, you, you get hungry even though it's Subway it doesn't smell like anything. I mean, it doesn't smell like <laughs> a real food. <laughs> like Subway, the smell you smell when you walk into Subway, it's not, it's not fresh baked bread. It's not... Fresh cut deli meat. It's not fucking iceberg lettuce. It's Subway. It's in the wood. (laughs) It's somewhere in the vents. And yet you salivate every time and you get real hungry. Yeah. Like they're, I think recently they had to like admit that their, their bread isn't even, it can't even be called bread. Like whatever it is. It's not. Yeah. There was like a thing where they had like there's sawdust and shoe polish. Ah, <laughs> oh, what the fuck? You're eating a leather bag pretty much. <laughs> I will eat my shoe if it's fresh. Yeah. Speaking of leather bag, my cat got neutered the other day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's going to affect yeah. his behavior. <laughs> well, he seems a lot more chilled out actually. Um, but man, I just, I felt bad. Like, could you imagine waking up and realizing that your two most trusted confidants in the world <laughs> let that happen to you? Not only did they let it happen to you, <laughs> they paid for it to happen. Ooh, yeah. And they put a tracking chip, like, <laughs> under your skin. Jesus so, Christ. I, don't know. I thought he would take longer to forgive us, actually. Hates the cone. Hates the cone of shame. How long until that they started doing that to, to us? Like, at a certain age, you'd get your balls chip, chopped off and they put a chip in you. Again, age 30, age perfect. 30. You had your chances. 
just cut him off so you can start focusing on other things. <laughs> yeah. Think of how enriching your life would be if like that was completely like you never thought of, had you had no sexual influence at all. Hey, Thomas Aquinas. He was, Thomas, is that he was really? All, he was, was he all, asexual? Yeah, that's like yeah, that was a, that whole whole thing about him was like he was like impervious to. He said he never once had an impure sexual thought. Oh right, yeah, right, yeah. I I just didn't believe that. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Maybe there was some, some sort true. of neutering that happened. Yeah, some rabbi's first day on the job trying to circumcise a baby <laughs> just misses totally totally gapped on what. <laughs> What foreskin was? Uh, wait, is this a castration or a, uh, a brisk? I forgot. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. The left. I had a castration at two p.m. and a circumcision at three p.m. God I damn thought. it! My secretary's new. She wrote them down wrong. Oh, Jesus, Eileen, you're fired. Eileen, <laughs> look what you did. Yeah. Now he has to be a singer. Castrate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so behaviorism. So we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it because they actually have. So they actually had some pretty radical, radical beliefs. So behaviorism developed from a movement known as logical positivism. The, have you heard of the logical positivists before? Does that ring a bell? No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> that, that does not exactly roll off the tongue. Okay. So basically, it's pre- basically all they thought was that in the scientific context, the meaning. Of statements, here's this is a quote: "The meaning of statements used in science must be understood in terms of experimental conditions or observations that verify their truth." And that's a quote by the philosopher George Graham, who wrote the brilliant entry on behaviorism that we're working with today. Uh, George, George Graham, yeah, George Graham, not bad. Not to be confused with Graham George, different guy. Right. Is he another <laughs> philosopher? I have no idea. <laughs> There's probably somebody. Say he's either another philosopher or he murdered he murdered twenty people. Yeah, most likely the latter. And that's why I recognize his name from these true crime documentaries. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So basically, um if you can't verify the truth of something in an experiment, then it's a meaningless statement in science. Well yeah. Okay. Let's see, like, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting and uh I think it's fallen very out of favor, but I, I, have, I didn't do research on logical positivism for this episode, so we'll, we'll stay away from whether or not logical positivism works or not. Okay, and we'll just get right into we'll get right into it. So, suppose you were to say Jordan ordered a pizza because he was in a certain mental state. Yeah, right. Suppose you say that. Like, suppose you say I ordered a pizza because um, I was in a mental state of like I felt really hungry. Like the hunger pangs were really getting yeah. me, so I ordered a pizza. Hungry, stoned, yeah, lazy, yeah, some mental state that you had. I'm a filthy little piggy pig. <laughs> some mental state that you had caused you to pick up the phone, order the pizza. The logical positivist will say, of course, that this statement is meaningless unless you can verify the truth. So, to verify the truth, you would have to somehow demonstrate that you had a particular mental state at a particular time, and that mental state. Cause you to order the pizza. But the question is, how do we know? How do you even begin to prove that? Yeah. How do we know like that you had this mental state? Like, can we just take your word for it? Well, no, scientists can't just ask you, like, did you have the mental state? Yes. Okay, well, you had the mental state. Right. That can't be how science works. No. Right? So the science, so like this led to um this sort of problem of like not being able to 
look inside a person's head and know if anything is happening at all. Like you can't verify it. This led to behaviorism. So we can break. And the behaviorism was the driving force in psychology for like decades. If you were not a behaviorist, you were a crackpot. And it's pretty ironic because today we think they were crackpots. <laughs> I love that that phrase or that term, crackpot. crackpot. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where it comes from. Crackpot is bad, but a crack shot is respected. Oh, so very interesting. Very fine line. Very fine line. <laughs> they're walking a fine line here. Yeah. Yeah, like so like now we I'm think a they're crack crazy. shot at killing crackpot. What? <laughs> crack shot. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to look up the etymology on that one. Yeah. Okay, so according to George Graham, behaviorism, you can break it down into three different types. So the first type, the first claim is that psychology is the science of behavior. Psychology is not the science of the inner mind as something other or different from behavior. That's the first one. Okay. Distinguishing like what actually happens in the actions of reality. Like- Physical actions are the behavior where their inner mind is like what they're thinking when it's happening, right? Yeah, whatever you're thinking, feeling, um, daydreaming, that's totally irrelevant to psychology because it can't be verified by science. Right. So all the evidence is what's, what's observable in the real world, obviously. Yeah, basically the only, the only stuff psychology can study it's, it's all based on empiricism, like what we know through our senses. So yeah. all I know from my senses is what I see you doing. I don't see your thoughts. So that can't be part of right. my, my, my psychology. You can speculate. You can't prove it. Yeah, so it can't be. It's not, and according to the positivists, unless you can verify the truth, it's meaningless. Right. So number two, behavior can be described and explained without making ultimate reference to mental events or internal psychological processes. The sources of behavior are external, in the environment, not internal, in the mind. That seems not accurate, right? We're gonna, yeah, we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna break it down, but yeah, basically you could think of it as, you know, like the whole nature-nurture debate about human behavior? Well, they're saying yeah. definitely, completely, and entirely nurture. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, And then the third one, and so this one is a little bit more philosophical. In the course of theory development, this is a quote again. In the course of theory development in psychology, if somehow mental terms or concepts are deployed in describing or explaining behavior, then either these terms or concepts should be eliminated and replaced by behavioral terms, or they can and should be translated or paraphrased into behavioral concepts. So... That just means that if, if you, if whenever you talk about someone believing something, you have to take out the word believing and put in some sort of behavioral term instead. Okay. Like, can you give me an example of a behavioral term like that? Yeah. So, um, you might say like, I, Jordan, well, you might say like, uh, oh yeah, hmm, Jordan believes it is raining. No, you replace that with Jordan is getting, putting on his raincoat and getting his umbrella. Right. Okay. Yeah, I know that. that yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So the first, the first of those is like a method, the methodological behaviorism. That's how psychology should, should do its method. The second one is um, the research program of psychology. So it's how, how to explain our behavior. 
that's like all the Pavlov stuff. Yeah. And then the uh, the third one is more philosophical, which is sort of like anything, any talk about mental states, like Jordan believes it is raining. Like whenever we say that, we're actually getting confused. Like we're misusing words. Like right. the words are making us think that we're talking about what's in your head, but we're not. We, we're really just talking about your behavior. Yeah, right. So yeah, so that's like the basic theory of behaviorism. So it seems pretty crazy, but let's 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 give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's let them see, like, why should we be a behaviorist? Why should you be a behaviorist? All right. So there's maybe there's three three reasons. George Graham argues there's there's like three reasons. So the first one is, like we said, evidence. So our evidence for saying that someone has a mental state, like a certain mental state, is always rooted in us observing their behavior in certain conditions. Yeah. Reminds me of one time I walked out of a parkade and I looked over and there was a, what I assumed was a homeless person taking a dump (laughs) next to this dumpster. And I can't assume anything about him. Maybe he was very well off. Maybe he has a mansion. But I can, based on his behavior, all I can say is he was taking a dump outside of a dumpster. Mm-hmm. And I can insinuate some stuff from, from that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I also have seen someone taking a shit right next to my house. That's great. It's really shocking when, you, when it happens, eh? Especially when they lock eyes with you like a dog. Yeah, they always do. They always look <laughs> But at they you. don't stop. They keep going. Yeah. And they just stare. Yeah. And you don't, you can't fuck with someone who's taking a shit because. If they're willing to take a shit on the middle of a street in broad daylight, they will definitely be willing to grab that shit and throw it at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't draw the line anywhere in between those two things. <laughs> no. Like, they have no limits. If they're willing to take a shit in public and stare you down while they do it, there is no line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For some reason, they always have to like look lock eyes at you like, just try me. Yeah. Like, try me. <laughs> It's because they're, they're in some sort of animalistic state, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we are saying all we can do, all we know for sure is that they are taking a dump in public and locking eyes with you. Exactly. So right. I, you're saying, I'm just trying to tie this back to the fucking lesson here. <laughs> I can't garner any real facts just from witnessing that. All you can, like, like, like suppose you see someone uh, crying. Yeah. Right? You might think from that you might infer from that oh they have a mental state of like feeling sad yeah or if you see someone laughing you might infer oh they have a mental state of they think something is funny they believe something is funny yeah whenever we believe that someone or whenever we say that someone has a mental state the only evidence that we have for them having that mental state is their behavior right so the first thing we see is the first thing we notice is the behavior and then we make this leap that they must have a certain mental state because they're exhibiting this behavior. Exactly. Like I said, that guy taking the dump by the dumpster, he could have zipped up his pants and walked right into a Fortune 500 company where he was the CEO. I don't know. I don't know his history for facts. Yeah, like you're you're like seeing him take a dump on the street, you're inferring that he has mental states where he's uh like deranged, can't like make reasonable decisions, stuff like that. Yeah. But that's like an inference. Yeah. So the behaviors thought like, okay, we're always like attributing mental states just based on behaviors. 
So maybe mental states just are behaviors. Right. Like being sad isn't a mental state. It's a suite of behaviors that we do in certain circumstances. Okay. Is it starting to, is it starting to gel? Uh, well, you're going to have to keep hammering on this one. I'm not sure what, where we're heading with this, but... All right, we're going to have to keep going. You kind of just threw a wrench at me. So what if being sad isn't a mental state? It's just a suite of behaviors? Like a collection of behaviors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, I'm trying to make sense of like how an emotion can be reduced to a set of behaviors. That like, to me, makes it a completely external phenomenon. Yeah, and we're going to get to the reasons against behaviorism eventually. And this is, this is going to come back to bite them. Okay. Yeah, so basically their idea is like, look, the only, like as a scientist, right, I'm looking at all these other people around me. The only evidence I have that any of them have mental states are their behaviors. Right. So as a scientist, all I can say is that the behavior is the mental state and that's it. There's nothing, I can't say anything about how they feel inside or what they believe all i can talk about is what how they're behaving that's all that's all there is just behavior but when you actually ask them they will probably if you see people like displaying similar behaviors and then mm-hmm. you talk to them and ask them how they're feeling and those are all similar responses yeah. then ah well guess what talking and answering questions is also behavior okay it's all behavior shit shit <laughs> Fuck, you got me. <laughs> God damn it. I'm just trying to like make the connection of like, I guess I'm not really understanding what the behaviorist's ultimate point is about how people experience emotions. I guess they're just like, this seems like they almost are saying that everything's external. Like a state of mind is, is the behaviors. That, that's what's getting me. I don't think I'm understanding that concept. Yeah, and it, the reason it's so hard is because everybody, like, every, this is well, going to be a reason against behaviorism, but everyone knows that they, or like, we seem to all have our own rich inner life of beliefs and sensations and experiences. Yes. And it seems to us like, you know, the reason that we do a lot of what we do is because of our inner, our inner life. Yeah. The behaviorists are like, they really, really want to stick to science. And a scientist looking at you cannot see your inner experiences. He doesn't know if yours are the same as his. Right. All he can see is the behavior. And so they think like, okay, what if this is getting into the deep end, but if our language, right, the words that we used to talk about, do these refer, can all these words, this is like one of Wittgenstein's things, um, where suppose everyone has a little box. Right. and when you open the box, inside is a beetle. But only you can see what's in your box. Only you can see it. Yeah. Nobody else can look at yours. So I can never prove I, have a, a, I actually have a beetle <laughs> in a box. Well, we all, we, all, we all have something in this box, but nobody, can, nobody knows what anybody else's looks like. Right. So how could we ever talk about somebody else's beetle? I mean, yeah, you can't. Right. So I guess I get the point where it's like, you can't like, I guess, take someone's word that they're experiencing something differently than their behavior suggests what's going on. Right. You need tangible, tangible actions to make real evidence towards something. 
right? Yeah, yeah. So no matter what someone's saying, their actions speak louder than words, as they as they do say. That's yeah, that's a good way. Like I think I'm definitely not a behaviorist. I think it's total total nonsense, but that is sort of the idea, right? You don't have evidence that other people have mental states. That's their claim. Okay. All right, so let's move on from that one because, like, there's so many problems. That one it. doesn't sit right with me. I'll yeah. I'll just state that right now. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if it's because I don't think I quite understand it, or if uh, I just don't like it. You know, it no. totally dismisses your internal monologue. Yeah, no, there's that's a big problem with it. All right, so the the second one is a bit of a weaker reason, I think, but this is uh, based on learning. So it's true that the behaviorists we're able to show a lot about how um, creatures learn how to behave. Like you can use all this conditioning stuff and you can really explain how organisms' behavior develops in response to their environment. Right. And so the behaviorists really thought that organisms are like blank slates. You come into the world like a blank slate and it's only by being exposed to your environment that you develop your behavior. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have any factory settings, is basically what they thought. Right. Uh, and then the third one, this one gets a little, a little more interesting, right? But this is like how they tried to show that talking about mental states doesn't actually explain anything. It's like a circular explanation. Okay. So this is a guy named B.F. Skinner. So he was the big dog. I've heard so, of this guy. Yeah. He's a big dog. Big dog. Big dog. <laughs> Yeah, he thought he had figured it out. He thought he'd cracked the code. And now people think he was just a nut job. <laughs> it's just crazy how... It's crazy how... Crackpot. Yeah, another crackpot. Another crackpot. It's pot. just crazy how like things change. Like, <laughs> If you weren't on this guy's side, you were, like, you were a loser in psychology. And now it's the opposite. That's crazy. Yeah. It's not like your tools have changed. It's not like technology has changed. That influences like the way that people think about this type of thing. It's just mm. like over time, people's opinions on things change. Like people, I guess, poke holes in arguments or what? Well, in in this case, yeah. In this case, the main one of the main arguments against it is just someone turned out to be a bit smarter. <laughs> but um, also, technology was a big deal because behaviorism is going on in like the forties and the fifties into the sixties. Yeah, and they really just did not have enough information about the brain. They really just did not understand enough about how it works. Right. So they were kind of in the dark a little bit. So was like brain scanning technology that changed the way they think about these type of things when that came out or? Um, I'm not, yeah, that, that might have been part of it, brain scanning. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into the next section. Okay. Okay, so right now, so here's, here's Skinner, right? So think about this. So suppose you see a jogger and the jogger's running down the path and they're approaching a brick wall. Yeah. Instead of running straight smack into the brick wall, they turn and they run alongside the wall. Mm. Now, you could explain this in two ways. First, you could say... Without slowing down? Okay, well, no. They, they slow down a little bit. They like dip their, okay, okay, uh, yeah, dip right. their shoulders. I, I thought we were going down a completely <laughs> different path here. I thought we, <laughs> <laughs> thought we were dipping into physics for a second. Like, how do they turn a 90-degree angle without Wait slowing down? Yeah, I thought objects in motion tend to stay in motion. What's going on? Yeah. Um, inertia. Okay, so right. So in the first case, you could say, so what caused them to turn as they approached the wall? Yeah. So the mental mentalist person would say, ah, as they approached the wall, their mind classified it as an obstacle. And so 
they turned away from it. So the mentalist would say that their behavior, their public observable behavior, was caused by an internal mental state. They believed that there was an obstacle, so they turned. Right. Now, the behaviorist says that this is actually a regressive explanation. So a, a regressive explanation is like something like, uh, why is pizza delicious? Because it's tasty. Why is it tasty? Because it is so delectable. Why is it delectable? Oh, because it's delicious. All right. Like the explanation just goes around in a circle. It doesn't explain anything. Yeah. It's just how, it's the same way religious people defend the Bible. <laughs> they, they defend it with the Bible. <laughs> Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Skinner is like, aha. When people are talking about these mental states causing behavior, they're actually talking about mental behavior, which is just behavior. So when the mentalist says the jogger's public behavior was caused by an internal mental state, they're actually saying the jogger's public behavior was caused by the jogger's mental behavior, which is just saying the jogger's behavior was caused by the jogger's behavior. So it's the circular explanation. Right. You can't explain behavior just in terms of behavior. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it like rubbed me the wrong way. There's something about it that doesn't make sense. It seems like a trick. Yeah, it seems like yeah. a little trick or something. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Skinner argued that we can't say that behavior can't just be caused by behavior. It must be caused by something else. So what is the only other thing that might cause it? The environment, the external world. So he's not denying that we have brains and that there are things going on in our brains. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is that the environment causes a change in your brain and the change in your brain allows your behavior to change in response to the environment. However, the neurological processes in your brain cannot themselves affect your behavior on their own. Only with input can you get output. Hmm. I mean, that doesn't sound as crazy to me. Like, it is actually kind of like, it kind of makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, like that kind of, it kind of makes some sense. And so that is kind of why, like, for a long time, people thought like, okay, behaviorism is the way to go. Like, this is how psychology as a science will move forward. Yeah. This is the new paradigm. Right. It's the new meta. The new meta, yeah. But it all fell apart. It all fell apart. Ugh, what happened this time? All these psychology departments, uh, the infighting, the wars, the bickering, people just, uh, it, was, it was nasty. Mad psych beef, baby. Psychology, I think in like the, the 70s and the 80s, I don't think it would have been fun to be a, a psychology professor in like the 70s and 80s. They probably just hated each other. Really? Just like bitter wars <laughs> over the stuff. Thank God none of them ever threw a punch. Not a single <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Yeah. In their lives. No. No. Um, do you think, is there still big psych- psychology beef out there? Like big, big separate camps in this area? Or is everybody pretty much on the same page right now? I don't know. I think, I think pretty much in every university department, there's going to be like people who just don't talk to each other because they're on op- they're on different sides of an issue. They just don't talk to each other. It can be pretty nasty. It's such a funny reason to like not want to associate with someone like socially because they think that your brain works differently than they think your brain works. <laughs> like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Well, no one no one wants to be a crackpot. No one wants to be a crackpot. Right. In fact, Sam, I think we need to stop using that word because it's starting to trigger me. It is starting to trigger me the more you say it. Okay. 
right. So um, <laughs> let's let's get into uh, let's get into the problems with behaviorism. So George Graham, George Graham, yeah, yeah, George Graham. So he he breaks down three main reasons against behaviorism, and so we're going to start with the most complicated, right, and work our way to the what I think is like one of the best arguments against behaviorism. Okay. Most complicated. Here we go. I don't have a lot of faith in myself right now to grasp this, but let's try it. All right. So behaviorism cannot explain what's called representation. And I'm not talking about democracy. Right. We're talking about your internal representations. First past the post. First past the post. Proportionality. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So um, internal representations are things like how we classify, categorize, predict and organize information from our environment and store it and then act upon it. Right. So here's an example, right? So the behaviorist thinks that your behavior, your behavior is always dictated by your environment. So suppose you've been conditioned through reinforcement to point at bears. Whenever you see a bear, you've been conditioned so many times yeah. through rewards and stuff like that, that whenever you see one, you automatically point at it. Well, to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure I would point at a bear even if it was the very first time I saw a bear. You don't just <laughs> not gesture towards a fucking bear if you see one. Yeah, yeah. You in, you indicate it if you see a bear. You indicate it. Yeah. I do a what up nod to it. <laughs> Yo, fucking Kodiak over there. Kodiak. So, but suppose suppose there's a bear on the horizon. Yeah. But for some reason, you think it's a tree stump. Yeah. Then you you wouldn't you wouldn't point at it, right? No, no. Tree stumps are rarely something worth pointing at. No, unless they're huge. If they're the size of a of a bear, <laughs> I might point at it. Like look the fucking size of that stump. It's on a hill. It's like a long way away. It's in a. There's like a ton okay. tons of tree stumps in the area. But just so happens okay. that one of those tree stumps is actually a bear. Okay. You would not. You wouldn't point at it. No, not if I thought it was a tree stump. Yeah. So, in this case, your behavior or your lack of behavior, is not actually caused by your environment because there is a bear there. Your behavior, you're not pointing. The not pointing is caused by your internal representation of your environment. Right. Which has classified the bear as a tree stump. I'm misinterpreting my environment. Yeah. So in this case, your behavior is actually not caused by the environment. It's caused by a mental state, an inner representation. Ha! Fucking checkmate, ah, behavioralists. Checkmate, bitch. Take that, Skinner. Gotcha. Crack yeah. <laughs> you ever done mushrooms? You ever think a stick is a worm for eight hours straight? <laughs> <laughs> you ever thought moss could talk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all you have to do is see someone on a heavy dose of psychedelics and realize that uh, their environment is not causing some of the behavior that you're seeing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> there's no way, there's no reason to try and take a bite out of a rock. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Just, it looks so soft. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that's the first one, representation. The second one is the one that, like, I think is the biggest stumbling block to most people. And that's qualia. Qualia. How things feel, right? Damn, that, if that's not a nightclub name somewhere, I don't know. Qualia? Oh, it should be, damn. Yeah, it should be. Qualia. Um, Qualia. That's how you feel. Damn. Marketing campaign. Damn, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so like pain, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of biologists who study, 
who study like certain animals, like crustaceans and stuff. Yeah. They say that like these animals, although they look like they're in pain, they exhibit pain behavior. They don't actually feel any pain because they don't have the, the brains for it. Right. I remember I was in the woods and uh, we were camping and there were some leeches and we like put, someone put a leech next to the fire and we watched it like essentially die via heat exposure and it was writhing around. It looked like it was in pain. It was actually kind of disturbing, but everyone I was with was convinced that it was not experiencing it at all. It was simply like a fucking computer programming running through the motions of what it's supposed to do when this happens. Mm. Yeah. But there was no experience happening. And like, I could see how that would be believable. But also, my empathy was still like, I think that thing's feeling that. Yeah. I'm going to get PETA on our asses, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Don't hurt leeches, you bitch. I don't think PETA cares about leeches. (laughs) Leeches. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what basically what you're describing is what's called a philosophical zombie. Right. So a, a philosophical zombie is a, a creature that appears to be identical to a human being, acts like a human being, talks like a human being, does all human being things, but actually has no conscious experiences whatsoever. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Dude, I've totally met people like this. In Kelowna, they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So behaviorism treats people, it treats everyone like philosophical zombies. Like it only cares about what their behavior is. Yeah. There's no room whatsoever for mental feelings, pain to do anything. So like from our perspective, when you writhe in pain, it's because it feels so bad. Yeah. You think the the behavior is caused by the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the behaviorists would totally, totally deny that. And there is actually an argument which says that our qualia have no causal role in our behavior. But that's, that's for another day. What? Yeah, it's called epiphenomenalism. It's, it's pretty scary. So they're saying that it's not, it wasn't the spiciness of those Thai noodles that made you cry. Yeah. It was simply the fact that you're not a real man. Jesus Christ. According to the Thai. <laughs> According to the ties. You a little boy. You little boy. You cry? You cry. Yeah. Go drink a milk tea. Yeah. I need one. Yeah. Want a bubble tea, you baby back bitch? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah. So there's actually a, it's a pretty scary idea, but there's this theory called epiphenomenalism. And it's the, like, you know how you touch a hot stove and you, sometimes you'll pull your hand back even before you felt anything. Mm, yeah, I guess so. If it's hot enough, you might reflexively remove your hand like almost even before you felt it. You won't have any thoughts, but you'll have a spike in pain, right? It's not like you're yeah. thinking, oh, there's pain happening. It's just, it's like getting slapped in the face. Yeah. So basically what you can do is you can, you can hook someone up with a bunch of electrodes on their head and um, you can ask them to lift their finger. And then you can ask them like to say, to announce when they're going to do it. And then they do it. Mm-hmm. And what, the, what some of these studies have found is really quite disturbing is that the, the motor processes that will start the behavior actually begin to occur before you announce that you're going to do it. And there's another way to think of it too, which is that suppose you, um, 
you hook someone up to all these electrodes, you're monitoring all their brain activity, all their muscle activity, all their nerve firings and everything. And like they say like, okay, I'm thirsty, I'm going to get a drink. And they drink some water and they put it back down. You can explain all of their behavior just by reference to events like neural firings in their brain. Everything is explained just by physical events in the brain. Right. Yeah, like you never need to, um, like the thirstiness, like the, the machines don't detect thirstiness. They just detect physical events happening. Mm-hmm. And all of your behavior can be totally explained just by reference to physical events that are happening in your, in your brain and your body without reference at all to how thirsty you were feeling. Interesting. So it's kind of weird, but anyway, we'll leave that for another day. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Today, I got you. Got, I got a little deep. You got a little. I, I I couldn't follow you down every one of those paths because oh. I'm just too dumb, as people know. Okay, sorry. There's there's one more. There's one more. Okay, this is the best one. This is the best one. Okay, hit me. Okay, so you've heard of a guy named Noam Chomsky? Well, yeah, he's like the Michael Jordan of psychology, right? Yeah. So he had this brilliant. He just brilliantly pointed out that you can analyze from the foul line, dude. Yeah, six foot six, yeah. hell of a jump shot. Like this yeah. guy, you can't psychoanalyze <laughs> you when you're not even in the room, dude. He just senses yeah. you like a Jedi. He tells you what, yeah. what's wrong with you. So he, like, he just noticed, I guess, he brilliantly pointed out that behaviorism can't explain the way children rapidly acquire language, right? Mm-hmm. By the time, by the time most kids are five years old, they can produce an almost endless variety of sentences that they've never heard before. Yeah. Kids do not learn languages by repeatedly pointing at trees and saying tree while the teacher gives them like a candy and then they point at the next thing. Right. So you cannot explain language behavior just by looking at the environment. So Chomsky thought we all must have some sort of internal universal grammar that's preloaded in our brain. Much like spiders are born with a preloaded ability to make a web. Right. We all have this preloaded feature in our brain that allows us to learn languages really fast, despite a lack of stimuli. And that goes directly against the behaviorist claim, which is that we're all blank slates. Mm. And that everything that comes to us from the environment. So those three, so those three problems, representation, qualia, and language acquisition, those are like the three nails in the coffin of behaviorism. And now it's pretty much a defunct, nobody believes it anymore. Three-punch combo ended with an uppercut from Gnome. <laughs> the Gnome Bomb, they call it. The Gnome Bomb. The Hellbow from Gnome Jumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Gnome Chomsky with a steel chair. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so let's, uh, we got an email from, this is from the I Killed Your Dog podcast. Oh. Uh, Sam, did you know, do you know anything about that podcast? Do you know who it is? I believe that podcast is, uh, involves an amazing woman who saved the life of our cat and performed a surgery on it in our dining room. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Valina Taskoff, if you guys want to, she is a veterinary technician. She's <laughs> She once upon a time did emergency surgery on a cat that we were caretakers of at the time at about 2 a.m. on our dining room table, and it was crazy. It was nuts. (laughs) So she has a podcast with another vet tech named Brittany, and 
They are the hosts of I Killed Your Dog podcast. And they emailed us today, Sam. Woo! Amazing. Let's see what they say. It says, hey, fuckers, long-time listener, first-time <laughs> emailer. <laughs> the, Australi- the, the Australians have a way, they have a real way with words, especially when it comes to greeting people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I like it. I'd like to see a competition segment on your podcast between you guys and the BTCP. I'm assuming they're <laughs> referencing to those traitors and those animals at the Back Table Comedy Podcast. I thought they had to take comedy out of it. Um, I'm not sure what you'd compete for. Maybe like in Super Troopers. Who can say the word meow the most on the podcast? Well, Belina and Brittany, this podcast is not a veterinary podcast. So we don't talk <laughs> about the sounds behaviors of animals all right we're starting to beef with you now bitches <laughs> just kidding uh it says we can't use tom as my cat as a prop either i would never let thomas near those fucking pedophiles at the back table comedy podcast um as a cat he'd probably have nothing to fear from a pedophile but <laughs> <laughs> sorry i said petophile all right uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> um love your guts uh, the ki- I killed your dog, bitches. That sentence could just be I killed your bitches. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for making contact. I suppose it's just a bunch of podcasts emailing each other at this point. But <laughs> hey, that's good. I I got an email as well, an unsolicited email. What to my account? To my account, not even to the podcast email. Oh my god! What you got to read it now? I don't know what the hell this is, but uh, this is from. A company called Podmatch. Oh. And they say, Hello there. I see you're an active podcaster, so I wanted to give you a membership to Podmatch. It's a service that automatically matches podcast guests and hosts for interviews. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This week, you must interview this random guy. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't think I'm going to reply to that. <laughs> No, but still exciting, you know. It's it's nice to be noticed, even if it's by a bot. <laughs> yeah, I think it just means the RSS feed is selling our information. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically that's what that someone's means. making money off of this podcast. Probably somebody's Same making money. <laughs> I mean, I'm paying yeah, every month. Just, <laughs> just not not us. <laughs> Uh, well, that's fine. You know what, Sam? I don't do this for the money. I do it because I'm bored and I enjoy it. So fuck you guys. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to the uh, today's episode, Sam? Any farewells? Any tidbits? I just want to say the the crypto market is absolutely nonsense. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? We uh, <laughs> we definitely bought it the wrong time. I sure did. Uh, I bought it literally the most the highest price that it's ever been. <laughs> and then literally within within hours it fell like 30% like within <laughs> hours like Ah, <sighs> uh, well, that's what happens when you play with shit you don't understand. Yeah. But that's it's it's going it's going to go back. Oh my god, it's already going back up. Oh, look at that. We'll be millionaires in in weeks, I'm sure. All right, that's the episode. We'll talk to you fucking idiots next week. Anything uh yeah, just yeah. Bye. Bye. Adios.